Howdy how, this is Aswi, and you're listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. Howdy how, y'all. Welcome to another episode of Brown Men Won't Jump. I'm Aswi, and joining me today are Eric... Yes, sir. And AC. What's up, guys? So, gentlemen, happy birthday. Happy birthday birthday in January. (laughs) Well, I'm not talking about your birthdays. I'm talking about Brown Men Won't Jump. Because guess what, guys? On the 18th of this month, that was three days ago, it was our one-year anniversary of Brown Men Won't Jump. Oh, shit. Yeah. Pop bottles. One year. Wow. And that's dope. To add to it, this is also our 50th episode. So, congrats (laughs) to that, guys. (laughs) Where where do you find these sound effects? (laughs) Well, that particular one is from Halo 3. It's a skull you can get that you can, every time you headshot a grunt, this uh, birthday sound. Oh, right. Right, right, right. Yeah. So I just want to say thank you both for all you've done for the show and to all our fans out there. Thank you for being with us for one year and for 50 episodes. Year one was a lot of fun. We learned a lot, but I can assure you that year two is going to be another level. We have big plans to take this into the stratosphere. So thank you all for joining us for year one. I can't wait for you guys to see what we have in store for year two and beyond. And just to add to that, yeah, yeah, just to add to that, though, uh, this last year wouldn't be possible without Uswe, who has been an incredible editor throughout, you know, on top of having his normal job and recording this podcast, he spends a lot of hours editing these pods, getting them ready and listenable to all you guys out there. So shout out to Uswe. As Kevin Durant once said about his mama, you the real MVP, (laughs) Oswe. So speaking of milestones, we cannot have a pod without talking about Steph Curry breaking the all-time three-pointer record set by the legend Ray Allen himself and doing it in the midst of his career. Guys, by the end of Steph's reign, he's going to set this record so far in advance that I'm not even sure it'll ever be broken. Nah, Lou Dort coming for the number one spot. Mark my words. (laughs) (laughs) The most impressive thing about it is that Steph has caught up to Ray Allen in just above half as many games. So, AC, I I agree with you. This is going to be one of those unattainable records to beat, such as Stockton steals and assists records, or even Kareem's scoring record though LeBron does have a chance to reach it. It was otherwise <laughs> deemed unattainable. Oh, LeBron's definitely reaching that record. So for you, sure. can, you can pretty much put that one right at home, sign, still deliver. <laughs> in that case, we're talking about an all-time great player, arguably top three player of all time, who's been playing at a high level for almost two decades, right? So that's an anomaly of sorts. So similarly, Steph's record is when he's done with his career is going to be truly unattainable. Facts. When I think of unattainable basketball records, my thoughts always go to Wilt Chamberlain 
whether it's the 100 points in a game, whether it's averaging over 50 points per game in a season, whether it's averaging over 48 minutes in a season, having a 50-plus rebound game. I mean, this type of stuff is unbreakable. But certainly outside of Will, what Steph's doing right now, I really think it's going to be unbreakable because you figure only one guy has ever hit over 400 three-pointers in a season. And that's Steph Curry. And he's done it twice, I believe. And he's on pace at 440 this year as well. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of guys out there who take a lot of threes now, especially in the wake of what Steph Curry has done. But if you just take the combination of volume and accuracy, there's nobody like him. Let's say you just limit in NBA history those players who have taken at least 1,000 three-pointers. So guys who have taken a lot of threes. Well, Steph Curry is the most accurate guy amongst those players. So he's not just a volume three-point shooter. He is the most accurate three-point shooter as well. So you're basically saying he's both the greatest and the best three-point shooter of all time? 100%. And I like the way you framed it that way because there is a distinction sometimes. It's actually kind of remarkable if you think about it. Is there another category where we can say that somebody is so definitively the best at the way that we can with Stefan three-pointers? Because there are those, like, for instance, when it comes to scoring, there's several guys you could pick from when it comes to rebounding, shot blocks, even something like assists. Like, I think a lot of us with Magic is the best passer, and certainly from a per-game perspective, he is. But then from career accumulation perspective, he isn't. Steph is in every possible way you can analyze it the best three-point shooter of all time and to be the best at one of the most exciting skills that there is in basketball is one hell of a remarkable achievement i don't think there's any quantifiable skill in basketball that anyone is as good or better than their next nearest peer as stuff is as a three-point shooter I, I can only think about, as far as a basketball skill, that again, is a quantifiable, what I think about Kyrie Irving with ball handling, but there's no way to like tangibly prove the gap between Kyrie Irving and his peers. It's almost seeming as if stuff right now has a Gretzky-esque lead in the record books between him or what we're, what we think is going to happen between him and the next nearest person. Because as you all intimated before, Steph has accomplished in 13 seasons in the middle of his career, still in his prime, what Ray Allen took 19 seasons to accomplish. So I don't know. I, I think we might be seeing when it's all said and done, a gap that's so large that it's insurmountable. But considering the trend of the league and how three-point shooting has gone up exponentially over the last three decades, I won't say never, just like a lot of people thought in the 90s that there would be no one challenging Gretzky for all-time leader in goals in hockey, but now you have Alex Ovechkin steadily creeping up. Though, Eric, you know, just not to make a totally different sport and make that the point of this podcast, but... With Gretzky, it's always points, not goals, that I thought was the truly unbreakable thing, right? And I think it's it still is. And, and for those who don't know hockey that much, points is goals plus assists. And that on that measure, Gretzky is so far ahead that it's basically mathematically impossible for anyone to catch him. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. But honestly, AC, even before, like, before Ovechkin, we thought the goals were mathematically impossible. Definitely if you consider True. the goals per game that Gretzky was scoring. Like, it was, like, an absurd number. And as far as goals per, per game and goals per possession, Ovechkin has been creeping up on him. I, I say that to say that with any sports those records that we think are insurmountable, we still have to be very careful with that because sometimes league trends change like almost overnight where you will have a record that seemed like impossible for someone to catch up on. And like, here we are. And honestly, I didn't think someone would just lap Ray Allen and before him, Reggie Miller as quickly as stuff did, but here we are. And it's because of the league changes. Well, I, I want to touch on that point you made there, Eric, about the league changes. I think what Steph Curry has done here is truly remarkable in the sense that he has actually single-handedly ushered in a new way of playing the sport. It's not that long ago. I mean, even around the time that the Heat were winning championships, where we heard the common refrain from analysts, even very credible analytics-driven analysts, that jump-shooting teams don't win in the playoffs, right? You live by the three, you die by the three. How many of us have all heard that, right? Steph proved that wrong. And not only did he prove that people could shoot at an elite level from all different angles and positions the way that he has, he kind of made the entire NBA rethink the math of the game. Really, that a three-point shot is so valuable that even shooting it somewhat inefficiently is still better than trying to take two-pointers, especially contested two-pointers, mid-range two-pointers. And it changed the math of the game to the point that you have guys like James Harden over the last few years essentially entirely eliminating the mid-range from their games. So I, I do think you're 100% right, Eric, that there's going to be people now coming up who are just going to take so many three-pointers over their careers that they potentially could eventually catch Steph. Because, I know, interesting, Ray Allen had some comments that when he was a rookie in his first few years in the NBA, he would get benched sometimes if he took a three-pointer early in the shot clock, even despite being, statistically at least, the second greatest three-point shooter ever. So the entire mentality behind three-point shooting has changed. And when you really think about it, how many guys in NBA history can really say that they fundamentally changed the sport and the way that it's played? For that alone, Steph Curry deserves a tremendous amount of credit. Yeah, there, there are like three or four guys that can legitimately say that they changed the way the game is played. But what's always like interesting to me about Steph, he's almost like... A oxymoron. So Steph, at at various points, he negates a foundational ethos of basketball while proving it correct. So one of the things you brought up, AC, was that even analytically driven analysts, they would tell us jump shooting teams can't win. Well, we saw the Warriors win like off the back or centering Steph's ability to space the floor. But Honestly, Steph is the most effective at that, and those Warriors teams were the most effective at centering that, but a lot of the teams that tried to duplicate 
that rubric that stuff has set as a foundation, they lose. Like James Harden and his teams had a similar ethos, high volume threes. And the second they got in the playoffs, they would falter. So like stuff, while being an exception, also still kind of proves the rule to be like a fair point at, at times. You still need teams that can, in crunch time in the playoffs, get to the hole. Steph is a bit of an anomaly. And I think that actually calcifies his greatness or our perception of his greatness. For sure. Though I have to say, personally, I don't enjoy watching teams jack up threes all day. Like, I guess if there's a lot of ball movement the way the Spurs used to do it, sure. But I don't enjoy watching basketball where the point guard just takes the ball up and with 15 left on the shot clock, he just jacks up a three. I just, I don't find it interesting. Um, Steph makes it interesting for sure. But, you know, you mentioned James Harden. He is someone who I can't stand watching. And his game is predicated either around trying to draw fouls or shoot threes. So, yeah, I mean, personally, I'm more of a fan of you know, like bully ball down low, beautiful mid-range game. So while I recognize the beauty of what Steph has done for the league, I also don't exactly like the changes, but that's me personally. That being said, the cool thing about the NBA is that it will last longer than any one player or any of us for that matter. And think about kids right now. The person they're watching is the greatest shooter of all time. So. While it may seem unattainable right now, who knows? There there might be some kid out there who's just shooting nonstop because that's what Steph did. And honestly, we'll be lucky if we can see another Steph one day. 100% Oswee. And I, know, I was thinking about this the other day. Has Steph changed now what the fundamental jump shot is? Because from a textbook perspective, Steph Curry's jump shot is actually not textbook in other words it's not that jerry west perfectly balanced shot that clay thompson shot clay thompson's got that three-pointer right that's just textbook but steph's one is more efficient it's faster and he can launch it from different angles so will kids now growing up try to get his shot and that'll maybe fundamentally change the way even people shoot the basketball so who knows what we'll see i, I think eric was spot on when he said that it's a fool's earn to say that records can never be broken because, you know, there was a time where running a four-minute mile was impossible, and then it became the norm, right? Breaking 10 seconds in the 100-meter dash was considered impossible, and then that became the norm. So records are made to be broken, and when guys like this come along that can inspire us, inspire generations in front of them to do crazy things and try new stuff, they will be broken. But for the moment, Steph reigns king, and... To be honest, we're all lucky to have seen it. But God damn it, does it always have to be the garden that this always happens in? Every fucking record is broken in the garden, I swear to God. <laughs> you already you already know sports god. It hates you all, so I mean, I mean you all every, have been punished for your sins. Every record what is sins are those? What's up? Why do we have sins? Being <laughs> an obnoxious but... New Yorker. <laughs> <laughs> True enough. <laughs> See, every record gets broken by the garden, but when was the last time a Nick has broken a record in the garden? Yeah, it don't happen, basically. <laughs>
Wait, hey, Oswee, thank you for saying that. That's not even something I thought about for a second. Like, whenever it's broken at the garden, it's always someone else. It's a visitor. Like, I mean, that's just I, I extra think soul brushing. Stephen A said this the other day. I mean, it's like 98% of amazing things that happen in the garden are the opponent doing them. Yeah, so. And 98 you, you might be are, low, you, to be honest. You all remember, I don't know how big on rap you all are. You remember in, in the 90s, they had the Source Awards, and it, it was in New York City. Yep. And Snoop Dogg and Death Row, they all came, and they were just talking shit about all the New York rappers. I feel that's like, almost like an allegory for what happens routinely to the Knicks. Yep. <laughs> I mean, the, the very the very concept of Steph Curry is is kind of something that hurts Knicks fans because we were the next pick and by all accounts, we're going to take Steph Curry. And, but you know, that's just, does it hurt Knicks fans or is that how it always goes? I mean, how many times have we watched the draft together, AC, and the Knicks either could have gotten the guy or just barely missed out on the guy? Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, it's been a long time before. Obi Toppin. Oh, God. What am I talking about? Don't talk about Obi Toppin. <laughs> I mean, it could be, look, AC, it could be worse. You all could have been the Timberwolves who selected Rubio and Johnny Flynn instead of Steph Curry. Yeah, so two point guards instead of well, who may very well end up being the best point guard since Magic Johnson in the NBA, you know? I mean, it, it, he's not there yet, but maybe he is. I don't even know. I got to uh, rethink. I think he's definitely I, the best uh, point guard since Magic Johnson in the NBA. Yeah, so I guess who's who else are putting in front of So basically Oscar and Magic, right? That's the only people yeah, that's it. arguing over. So yeah, Oscar you're probably Magic. right. So, I mean, that's that's brutal for Minnesota. But we get a little bit off topic here as we're – talking about the Knicks, who we'll cover soon. Don't worry. The Knicks have been tr- atrocious. Let's talk about the Mavericks, because there's a lot to unpack there. AC, your all-time favorite player, Jason Kidd, is their head coach. And I feel like we all kind of predicted his coaching would turn out the way it has so far. But I really am curious, what are your thoughts on his job thus far this season and really the Mavs overall? So before I get to what I think about Jason Kidd, I think the biggest news to come out about the Mavs in recent weeks is the story about the relationship between Rick Carlisle and the Mavs players, specifically Luka Doncic. Because I think that sort of explains why Jason Kidd got this job in the first place. So we already knew that Chris Porzingis did not like Rick Carlisle because Carlisle basically told him, you're never going to post up at any point, even if there's a switch. You're going to stand in three-point line, and we don't think you're good enough at it, basically, for whatever reason. Now it comes out that on top of that, Luka Doncic basically could not stand Rick Carlisle. And the origins of this come from Dennis Smith Jr., who was a player on the Mavs, who was traded as part of the Porzingis trade to the Knicks. And Rick Carlisle basically shitting on this guy from the beginning. He didn't want them to draft him. And then... Pitting him against Luca, even though Luca and Dennis Smith were really close, and falsely accusing, we could even say publicly, Dennis Smith Jr. of being jealous of Luca. And that sort of just really rubbed Luca the wrong way. And then over the last few years, his treatment of the non Luca players, like, I guess he realized that Luca was a star and he can't mess with him too much. And he treated him well and treated everyone else like shit on the team, including at some points publicly 
berating guys like the this guy Sammy Medry, for instance, who basically lost all confidence because of Rick Carlisle. And then Luka Doncic would explicitly yell at the coach and make a big scene, and no one on the bench would even bat you know an eye at it because they all knew that it was happening, and this was what their team was like. And yet they still overachieved, in my opinion, the last two years, given their talent, taking the Clippers deep in, in multiple playoff series, back-to-back years. So they were still functioning, but there were some real problems there. I, I'm curious, Eric, what you thought about what you heard about this Carlisle story? So I read the same article, AC, and the first thing I took away after reading it was that it seems though Carlisle is a fantastic coach, I, I still think he's a great coach. Great X's and O's guy. Uh, he seems to need what I call the Carlissimo treatment because... The hard-ass guy who treats them like they're little college players. Yeah, like, but but he's so he's so disrespectful if what that article is saying is true. It's just like, honestly, if we heard that some guy responded to that by putting his hands on him, though that would be wrong... I wouldn't exactly be in like an uproar about it because it's just like, come on, guy. Like he seems to denigrate guys just for, I don't know. It sounds like for the sake of getting his jollies off or something, just being really, really petty. And and I'm surprised that a guy who has the reputation as a coach he has in the league that he has that lack of managing personalities that he has like I, I've never heard something like that about let, let me pick a great coach Eric Spostra that he goes out of his way to like just denigrate guys so I was a little surprised I also if this is true I can see why he didn't get like a, a show of confidence from the players that are on the roster and he's now back in Indiana so yeah I mean <laughs> It, it seemed like his time was up and it was time for them to, you know, get a change of face. I, I still think they shouldn't have chosen Jason Kidd, though, but it is what it is. Two things, guys. One, Rick Carlisle looks like Jim Carrey. I just wanted to put that out there. <laughs> he does. He really and, does. He and really two, does. What a late career, Jim Carrey. Yeah. Without the crazy hair. And two, when you said PJ Carlisimo treatment, I thought people were trying to choke him because that's what I think about when you mentioned PJ Carlissimo. Yeah. Well, I'm saying like if someone did give him the PJ treatment, I would kind of shrug my shoulders and be like, well, you know, it's like, mm, he kind of had it coming. Yeah. Kinda. I mean, he was one of the longest tenured coaches in the NBA and Cuban has said multiple times that getting rid of a coach is, very risky because the grass isn't always greener. And so you better have someone who's definitively better out there. I don't think any of us would say that Jason Kidd, based on his previous reputation, was definitively better. But clearly, things that come to a head here, you know, Carl was due for a contract extension. He didn't seem to get a vote of confidence from his players. By all accounts, nobody said you have to get rid of this guy. But I think sometimes things can be read between the lines a little bit. I, and, I suspect this because he's such a great coach, AC, that no one outwardly say it that but right i mean he's a championship winning coach and and exactly. i think that since that championship year he has not had 
a truly great team, even one year in my opinion. And yet their teams have consistently overachieved. You know, in 2014, you guys remember that Spurs team that absolutely obliterated the Miami Heat. Well, a lot of people don't remember in that year's playoffs, the Dallas Mavericks with Dirk Nowitzki and a bunch of nobodies took that team to game seven, right? And we saw the last few years, Luka Doncic and a pretty flawed team took a really talented Clippers team to six games and then seven games in back-to-back years. So Carlisle is an incredible coach. But Eric, you made the point about not really remembering guys going out of the way to just put people down like this. And I, I think that's a really good point because if you think about someone like, say, Greg Popovich, right? Greg Popovich is a guy who has a reputation as a hard ass, right? And he definitely calls out guys all the time on the court. But there's two differences. The first difference is, unlike apparently Carlisle, he also goes after the star players, right? So if if you see Tim Duncan or Tony Parker getting yelled at, and you're some bench guy, you're like, all right, you know what? At least he's being fair to everybody. And the other thing is, there's been tons of stories about how good of a guy Greg Popovich is off the court and how much he actually does care for his guys in all kinds of little subtle ways to keep those relationships going so that, yes, he yells at you, but it's very clear to the players that he still cares about them. And I don't think that was the case here with Rick Carlisle. Yeah, facts. And I I think if I were, like, if I were making a guess about how, I guess, great coaches have to mediate emotions, I suspect that all of them have moments where they, like, they ream guys out because, is part of the job. Like you, you have to be able to criticize, criticize forcefully guys when they're fucking up. At the same time, you have to give them positive reinforcement. And it seems like the only people that ever got any type of real positive reinforcement, at least from the article, it's implied that it was only the superstars. So Luca was treated much differently than his peers. And it kind of put Luca in an awkward position because it seems like Luca was trying to develop some type of like harmony and gregariousness with his teammates. And you had Carlisle, for whatever reason, pitting him against these guys. And I mean, I, I can definitely see how Luca would just be like, dude, I'm 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 tired of this and I, I don't want this to be a constant. So Maybe the change was for the best. Yeah, and so also you asked initially about Jason Kidd, right? So Jason Kidd so far, when he got this job, he said that he would empower Porzingis. And, you know, a lot of us rolled our eyes at that. Well, he's actually done that so far. He's posting up Porzingis quite a bit. And kind of surprisingly, Porzingis is destroying people in the post right now. In Kristaps Porzingis post-ups, the Mavs are scoring at over 1.2 points per possession, which is an elite, elite number, which would be amongst the best numbers anyone is generating for any kind of offensive set. So he is empowering him to do that, and and it's working well. Now, Porzingis is not shooting his spot-up shots as well, but I don't blame that on on Jason Kidd. I, I think that when you ask a big man to do a lot of things that big men do, right, which is they're the ones who are putting the most actions, they have the most responsibility on defense, they have to do the dirty work on offense, it does make sense to reward them a little bit here. And especially on a switch, this is something that Jeff Van Gundy said the other night, which I agree with. Listen, you have a 7-3 guy. If you don't put him in the post a little bit, what's to stop every team from switching everything? So I, I, I commend Jason Kidd for doing that. 
And one more positive thing that Jason Kidd has done so far, he's put a couple of guys, I, I believe it's Luca, Porzingis, and I forget who the third person is, three guys who's appointed as kind of like these leaders of the team whose responsibility is to make sure that the whole team is on the same page. And they're kind of like this little council that's delegating the instructions from kid to everybody else. The and quiet council? Apparently worked, kind of like a quiet council, yeah, except <laughs> not that quiet because they're the ones who are being loud about it. But they apparently have really taken to this role, like especially Luca and Porzingis, and the team has responded really well. Which is why even though they've had a bit of an uneven start, apparently Jason Kidd is very popular right now in the locker room. So, so far, it's rave reviews from the Mavs players. However, and this is where, you know, some of my previous criticism from Jason Kidd comes into play. You know, I love Jason Kidd as a player, but he's playing a lot of lineups with two bigs out there at once. And granted, one of them is often Chris Porzingis, who can hit a three. But I think just when you watch the Mavs play, especially when Luka's there, there isn't as much space around him as before. And some of that is, you know, they don't have Seth Curry anymore. They don't have some of the shooters. Reggie Bullock has been pretty ice cold this season. But some of it's also just lineup choices. They're playing more conventional with two bigs. And I think in modern NBA, as we've seen with the Lakers this year, who tried the same thing before, I guess, recently abandoning that, it's very difficult to generate elite offense when you have two traditional big men out there. For a second, AC, I thought you were trying to talk yourself into Jason Kidd being a, a good coach, but you had me. You know, in the I first love me some JK. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were doing it. I was like, hold on. I want to. I want to see where this is going because we know you don't <laughs> like the criticism. So. <laughs> I was wondering, because you have criticized him as a coach. I, I was like, is he trying to rehabilitate his image as a coach? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, he does some things that I feel like are just kind of perplexing at times. I'll never forget when he made Giannis a point guard, right? I mean, listen, I think Giannis long-term benefited from that time when he was a point guard, but the lineup data when he was at that position was horrible because you have a man who's a big man, and really should be a center more than anything else, dribbling the ball up the court and making decisions, which was the weakest part of his game at that time. And and one of the things about Jason Kidd that I always find is especially worthy of criticism with him is that he will have like a scheme a minute. So let's say take three or four games in a row. From game to game, he will have a completely different scheme, sometimes a completely different lineup. And certainly did this much more when he was in Milwaukee. And what ends up happening is the team is unable to execute any of those things. And I think part of this, Eric, is that a great player like Jason, Jason Kidd, who had you know phenomenal b-ball IQ by all accounts, right, on offense and defense, expects his guys to be able to execute whatever he says. But normal basketball players and teams can't do that. They need a system, something to fall back upon. They can't just run one scheme one moment, one scheme a different moment, trap one game, that all of a sudden go the complete opposite thing, play conservatively, have a drop scheme, all while you're changing the lineups from game to game. So his lack of scheme consistency, I think, is something that even this year you can see is hurting them just a little bit. It's the reason historically guys who played in the NBA and are mediocre to average players tend to be better coaches than the guys who were great players. It, there's something, I think, about... Being a guy who's a normie, when you are in a position of instruction, 
like understanding how you get the best out of guys who suck versus you being great, you not realizing all the effort it puts into like reinforced principles and schemes to get the crappy guys to perform to the best of their abilities. 100%. If you really think about it, the vast majority of the greatest coaches of all time were, you know, they were role players or maybe, you know, just spot starters here and there. They certainly weren't all-stars or Hall of Famers like Jason Kidd. So that's a great point there. The other thing I think has been interesting is Jason Kidd has not been afraid to call out Luka Doncic. So in other words, the reversal Ricala was doing, and he's had a couple of criticisms. He's had a criticism of Luka for complaining too much and sometimes, you know, not passing the ball enough. But I think one criticism that he hasn't made, but I think is something that's worth saying, and I know, Eric, that you've talked about this, Luka Doncic did not come into this season in shape. And it's a little bit surprising because he played very well for Slovenia over the summer, and not just in the Olympics, he had to qualify for the Olympics. So he carried that team to the Olympics and then played extremely well in the Olympics. So it wasn't like he even had all that much time to get out of shape. Apparently only about three to four weeks, but that three to four weeks, this man must have eaten a lot of food. Yeah, it's like crazy, AC. How could he have played the summer and still came in like chunky? You would think playing in the Olympics, like you said, and the qualifying matches, he would have been in the best shape of his life. He's he's in his early 20s. He played a lot during the summer, and he still came in overweight. Now, to give Luca credit, Luca actually admitted this himself, that his conditioning was off and he was out of shape. But at this point, it's been multiple seasons in an early career that he's come in out of shape. At what point is Luca going to be like, look, conditioning is paramount, and I'm kind of handicapping myself by coming in out of shape, I need to do the stuff over the summer to assure that I'm in like prime condition when the season starts. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy that he mentioned it himself, but at some point, actions speak louder than words. Yeah, but that being said, despite him being out of shape, it's not like his numbers have taken too much of a dip. I mean, last season he was averaging 27.7 points per game, whereas this season it's 25.6. Effective field goal percentage last season, 55. This year, 51.1. Field goal percentage, 47.9 versus 44.7. He's more or less the same player in terms of output. Maybe it's just a little bit less. But I can see how when the game goes down to the wire, that lack of fitness will definitely get in his way but i also find it's interesting uh just one point i want to quickly make about jason kidd is that uh jason kidd's known for yelling people out the gym to the point where they actually retire so it's interesting how in terms of going from a guy in carlisle who was very tough on players to jason kidd it's an improvement somewhat but not exactly I, well, I suspect th- Jason Kidd learned from those earlier like mess ups. And I, I think you're talking about the Larry Sanders incident. Yep. But yep. yeah, I I I would hope in those early years of coaching, like him riding guys 
way, way too hard. I would hope he learned from that. So, but only time will tell. We'll see. I also just want to say, I think it's funny that Asmi was like, goes through the numbers and literally every number he said was a drop. And he's like, yeah, the numbers are kind of the same. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. They, wait, wait, the they are, Whoa, hold on. They hold are on. less than last year. <laughs> I did say, I did say they have reduced. I'm just saying they're, they're around the same. It's not like, it's not like he was scoring 27 a night and all of a sudden now he's scoring 17, right? Like he's down basically two points per game. He's down. So you're saying he, he's not he's not having like a Dame Lillard, James Harden type of drop off. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I yeah. get you. Like usually when you're talking about guys coming into the season out of shape, you'd expect a much larger drop off in stats, right? Think about AD coming into last season, right? That's true. In the case of yeah, Luka, but- his numbers are down without question, but it's not as as terrible as you would otherwise think, which kind of speaks to a bigger point, which is about his game period, because it's not like Luka's never been an athletic guy, right? And his game doesn't really need that. He's all about skill and finesse. And yes, Luka could be so much greater if he was more athletic or even just in a little bit better shape. That's without question. But he's just so great that even out of shape, he's still a problem. I would still want him on my team, you know? Yeah, but we were like last year saying that Luca has the potential to be a Pantheon level player. For so sure. If, yeah. if if he just wants to be a top 10 guy, yeah. And in, in the NBA, the current NBA, yeah, he could come into the season out of shape. If he wants to be in contention for MVPs, which he has the ability, he needs to be in shape. Eric. That's that's literally Eric. the difference between him being an, a perennial MVP candidate and being this version of himself. This version of himself mm. is an all NBA player. He's not a perennial uh-huh. MVP guy. Mm-hmm. This, you know, this all sounds very familiar. Ultra talented guy, out of shape, still good output. But man, what if he's in shape and could just play to his potential? He could be a Pantheon level guy. Listen, man, I'm a Sixers fan. I get it. I know this. We've done it with Barkley. We've done it with Embiid. Look, just give them time. The The first thing is Luca understands that he's out of shape. He he admits it, and that means he's going to work on it. He's going to hold himself accountable. So You're comparing him to a guy nicknamed the Mound Round of Rebound. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm just I'm just saying guys, that's 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 where Luca Doncic is apparently at now. He's a new age male round of rebound. <laughs> well, you get my point, right? It's just that unlike Barkley or Embiid, he actually is open about being out of shape. He's holding himself accountable. He addresses the problem, which means I'd like to think he'll actually address it by doing something about it, unlike those other guys. But even if he doesn't, he's still young. Give him time because just like those other two guys did, he'll get his shit together and he'll be the all-time great that we know he can be. So as it stands today, where do you see these guys finishing? I mean, I look at a team that has one of the great players in the NBA, and he will play himself into shape eventually. And and as us we pointed out, even him not in shape is still good for you know twenty five, eight, and seven. But you know once he gets a little bit healthier and and gets into a little bit more shape, I think it'll help him. 
So they have that guy. They have Porzingis, who's having a bit of a resurgent year, especially when he's on the court. And there's a question as to whether he will be on the court. But where do you see this team finishing, given everything else they have around them, given that you know they have a new coach this year and everything? Oswee Dramas is about to make a prediction. I predict that the Mavericks and the Clippers once again are going to meet in the first round. And once again, Luka is going to take it to seven. But because the Clippers are so talented when it comes to depth, when it comes to Paul George, when it comes to their coach, they're going to be another first round out. Because I just don't see how this Mavericks team will go that far. They have so many fundamental problems, as you guys previously discussed. And when it comes time for the playoffs in the West, just having the guy is not good enough. You need to have a good, comprehensive team. And if they face any of the Warriors, the Suns, the Clippers, I'm even going to throw the Lakers there just because I'm biased LeBron fan. I just don't see how this Mavs team has enough. Do they have enough spacing? Is is Porzingis going to figure out his shit? Is Jason Kidd going to learn how to coach better? Is Luka going to get in shape in time? Probably. That's probably the only one that I would say yes to. But other than that, everything else is kind of up in the air, in my opinion. So yeah, if I had to guess, Clippers are going to out them in the first round. It'll go to seven. Luka will be Luka. And we'll be here again in the summer talking about Wow, why is Luca's career so similar to LeBron's early career? And what can he do to get out of this absurdly terrible situation? Or rather, what can Mark Cuban do to get Luca out of this terrible situation? So, Oswe, are you saying that you think the Clippers are going to be a, a, a top three team overall where they face the Mavericks in the first round? I don't see why not. Can't, I mean, can't they also meet if that's the four or five and the Lakers drop to six, which is, by the way, the Lakers have faced the easiest schedule in the NBA so far. 30th in terms of difficulties are literally the easiest schedule. So it's not inconceivable. Yeah. They fall to six and these guys are the four or five. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. That I mean, that's possible. And also, I see two dominant teams in the West, in the Suns and the Warriors. And I feel otherwise, it's kind of open. But I really like what I'm seeing from the Clippers. I just feel top to bottom, they're the most complete team outside of those other two teams. They have good coaching. They have good depth. They have a great star in Paul George. And if Kawhi Leonard comes back as Kawhi Leonard, then they're going to be a problem. I don't see how it's inconceivable that those guys are the three seed. But yeah, four seed could work also. I, I highly doubt that the Clippers can get to the three seed because the Jazz are a fantastic regular season team and they're wait the jazz playing, exist i mean they're quietly playing extremely <laughs> well again y'all can ignore them all you want but if, if we're talking about getting the regular season three seed or even getting higher than that the jazz who have now i, I, I guess they, they had the longest last year. winning Fine, streak sure they had the longest winning streak in the nba and i think that they're well poised to get a top three seed again so the clippers without Kawhi, they're not getting that seed the mavericks I, I think it's them or the Lakers. I think those three teams, the Lakers, Clippers, and Mavs, they're going to take that four, five, six spot, some combination of them. I mean, the Grizzlies right now are in the four spot. I don't know if they'll actually keep that up, but I mean, that's the other thing. we, we got to talk about them next spot because the fucking Grizzlies are amazing. Yeah, I, I think I agree with everything you said, AC. I, I don't quite see the Mavs 
getting to one of the top three seeds. I think four or five and six will be the three teams we spoke about. I think the Jazz are always, or at least for the last couple of seasons, otherworldly during the regular season. So I expect them to be in the top three seeds when all is said and done in the West. So I, I see the Mavs getting into the playoffs. I do think they're probably going to be an early out for one of the top three teams. So, you know, it is what it is. I also wouldn't be surprised, guys, if the Mavs aren't real players in the trade market this season. I, I think when you look at them, they have pieces that could help other teams. Someone like a Reggie Bullock, I think, could help other teams. And he's not quite fitting in there right now. Uh, I think they have these pieces like Maxi Kleba. I think teams would want that. Could they make a move to try to accumulate some of those assets together to get another player, another ball handler specifically, something I think they really need as a team? Because I think outside of Luka Doncic, obviously, and Eric's clone, Jalen Brunson. <laughs> Yo, he looks so much like you, Eric. It's it's hilarious. Yeah, if you guys want to check out how we all look, just look at our website. But if you're too lazy to do that, <laughs> just look at Jalen Brunson. That's basically Eric. That's Eric. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, like, it's funny. I've been called, like, at various stages of my life, there are, like, eight or nine NBA guys that I've been called. I think Jalen Brunson might be the closest, though. I think he's extremely accurate. Credit to Oswe for pointing that one out. But, you know, <laughs> those are their two ball handlers. They have these two guys who can reliably dribble the ball. And I often feel a lot like, I'd also be made the LeBron early career comparison. I do see a lot of shades of that with Luka right now. I mean, ultimately, it's like everything has to go through them for them to win. I mean, he has to make every play. And he's capable of doing that. We saw that in the last few playoffs. But you don't win four rounds, especially in the West playing that style of basketball. So can they sort of get a couple of these guys they have? Even someone like Tim Hardaway Jr., I think, I think by the way, who's eligible to get a, a significant pay raise or at least an extension coming up you know, this offseason, maybe a team would want those kind of players since they have shooters and sort of these 3 and D guys and maybe would, would trade them somebody else who could handle the ball and create outside of Luka. So Luka could be used a little bit more of a spot-up guy from time to time. You know, that's something I could see happening. Well, one thing, guys, LeBron at no point in his early career came into the season 30 pounds out of shape. So for that's sure, something. no question, no question. <laughs> but, you know, you know, Luca does idolize LeBron. So that's the last thing you should get from LeBron is that that work ethic in the offseason. Though, to be fair, LeBron only really started lifting after 2008 Olympics. So he never came out of shape any time in his career into a season. But, you know, the, the point else we made before is, is apt. Guys, as they progress in their career, they start to take that side of it. The, it's not usually even the exercise. It's more like the diet part of it. They take that more seriously. And I, I expect Luca will do the same eventually. True. I, I hope he does. I, I think he will. I mean, I, I hope Zion does too, but that's looking a, a lot less. <laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> Likely. <laughs> he's like he's about he may be a hundred pounds heavier than Luca right now. So. <laughs> I mean, he's looking he's looking like a nose tackle right now. <laughs> <laughs> well guys, I think that's a perfect place to stop for today. Thank you all so much for joining us in today's episode. And again, thank you all so much for all your support this past year and 
50 episodes of Brown Men Won't Jump. It means the world to us that every week you tune into our show, and we hope that in the coming years, you'll join us as we take Brown Men Won't Jump into the stratosphere. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please remember to like, comment, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to hit us up at brownmenwontjump at gmail.com or on Instagram at brownmenwontjump. We'll catch you in the next one, guys. And here's to many more years of Brown Men Won't Jump. Peace out, guys. Deuces. Jokic MVP?